In a faraway slice of the Megaverse, the inhabitants of Blova are preparing for a mission to a mysterious, primitive planet. What they find there will change the course of their history forever. And maybe yours, too. Put on some headphones and harness the power of your imagination with the illustrated podcast, Flovatar, a just odyssey. As they landed in the Italian countryside, all the snow melted off of the Flovans, and they laid on the rolling green hills to catch their breath. It was sunny and fragrant. The air was filled with sweet smells of grapes, olives, flowers, and... Oh, what's this that I stepped in? Rebus groaned, his boot halfway into a considerable brown pile. A creature with a long snout, svelte body, and four hooved legs kicked dirt in his direction. Paul sniffed and realized he was desperately due for more of his earth drugs. Rebus rolled over and crept closer to the creature, turning on his streamer and zooming in on its tail that ripped at buzzing flies. Franklin pulled out her philosophy, but Nostos indicated that she should slip it back into her pocket. Keep in mind, Flovens, we're in the time of the Renaissance in Italy. Italia, as my friend Luca calls it. It is nearly 400 Earth years earlier than the time period we just left, and nothing like this technology exists. All your gadgets need to stay hidden. If we show them to just anyone, who knows what kind of ripple effects there will be? Better be careful. Nostos explained that the creature was called a horse and was used by ancient earthlings for transportation. This was before the automobiles or trains that they had ridden in later centuries. In the future, horses would be used for human entertainment at racing tracks, a place Nostos said he had wasted quite a lot of currency. Rebus attempted to capture a recording of the horse's iron shoe when the beast lifted his leg and booted him across the meadow. Paul snorted and then helped him back to his feet, taking a look over the horizon. Judging by the position of the sun, it was nearing to evening. Judging by the view, there was no city in sight. If they attempted to walk, who knows what terrors would await them at night, human or creature. Paul nodded toward the horse. Do you think we could all fit on it? Even with Galen's oversized biceps? Franklin took a few measurements and did calculations in her head. Each floven weighed approximately one half of the average human adult. Nostos said humans normally rode horses solo, two at the most, or they might collapse. Franklin considered testing his theory. Before they could attempt to climb aboard the poor horse, Gellin waved them over to an abandoned cart they could use to pull behind the creature. Three of them could sit in the back, while two of them could guide the brute. They lassoed a rope around its buckskin torso. Franklin popped up on the horse first, getting a boost from Gellin to mount this staggeringly tall beast. Rebus scrambled up next. The horse, remembering the smell of him from earlier, neighed and bucked Rebus clear off. He did a backflip in the air while Franklin held on to the horse's mane, burying her thumbs under the coarse hair. Um, someone else want to try? Paul approached the horse and stroked her ebony mane. He spoke in a soft, sing-song voice, like the one you would use on a psyche lucky after they'd had a nightmare. He walked around slowly, sprang on Gellin's shoulder, and grabbed gently onto Franklin's waist. Nostos, Gellin, and Rebus sat cramped in the cart as they headed toward the great city of Florence, birthplace of the Renaissance. Nostos, how will we find this Da Vinci fellow now? 
I'm not leading us into any more offices. It's too dangerous. I imagine he doesn't work in an office. I imagine he does his creating in a spectacular lab. They rode into Florence, over sun-baked pastoral hills, and enjoyed the bliss of the milky orange, pinks, and yellows of the Tuscan sky. They arrived at the city just before nightfall, and vendors were finishing their market hours for the day. There was much less technology in Italy in 1492. No one was looking at cell phones or watching screens. Franklin felt a bit of comfort that the locals didn't have phones, mostly because the way they talked with their hands would have sent their phones flying across the road. However, with no GPS, digital signage, or social media, finding da Vinci would be extra difficult. They would have to read a physical piece of paper. What a horror. Franklin discovered a public journal nailed to a wooden wall in the town square. The lead story took up most of the page. The title read, Audacious, a.k.a. Reckless Explorer, Columbus leaves for his journey to India in a fortnight. With the subtitle, Sailing off the side of the world, odds rise to three to one. Underneath was a notice for the evening. Royal Masquerade Ball. Tonight, thrown by the High Lord, Hiro Medici. On the side of the notice, someone had sketched an incredibly inappropriate drawing under His Highness's name. Let's try this. If it's a royal event, I imagine someone as famous as Da Vinci will be there. Masquerade balls were more common in France at the time, but slowly working their way into Italian life. When the Flovens arrived at Palazzo Medici, it was already a raucous party hall like an ancient cousin of the bar Nostos had found himself in 20 years ago when he landed on Earth. For the rest of them, the music, food, dancing, and laughing were as foreign as the language being funneled through their translation devices. Even Paul hadn't experienced something quite like this, though he had attended spike sluice tasting parties in the basement of one of the abandoned schools on Biosphere 16. He took a covert puff of his trusty glass treasure as he strolled onto the dance floor. The locals complimented the Flovins on their costumes, their multicolored faces, and bizarre eyes past his masks. Nostos watched them let loose like their chains had been unlocked after years of imprisonment. One of Damas's underhanded strategies with assisted thought was to only allow select types of entertainment on Flova. To him, anything that allowed citizens to enjoy themselves needed a greater purpose to benefit Flova Labs. Buy more sluice. Celebrate a new product launch. Honor him as their unimpeachable leader. He imagined that this lot hadn't ever been to a real party. The music was infectious, and with almost no prompting, Bellin launched into dance moves from music videos he had watched in the Kyoto train station. He whipped his arm like a sprinkler and flailed his body like a worm. A growing crowd of Italians gathered around him as he gyrated his body and tore off his plaid shirt. They call this one the Moonwalk, he yelled to his adoring fans. His floven legs flowed like jelly as he emulated the man with a top hat from his favorite video. While he made his way across the floor and nearly out the door, he bumped into one of the partiers. The impact of his super strength threw the auburn-haired woman to the ground. He quickly pulled her up, but her red wine had spilled all over her intricate, floor-length white dress. Her cat-eye mask shielded him from her look of death, but her translated Latin communicated her true feelings. Que do Watch where thou art going. The wine stain covered her torso in a wild pattern. I knew I should not have left my chambers this night. She sighed as she ran her fingers through her spicy red locks. I had a full cask and a bath awaiting my return. 
I, uh, I can help you with that. Four Nostos could stop him. Gellin primed the pigment removal spray function on his multi-pen. To the 15th century Tuscan, it looked like he was going to hack at her like a 70s slasher villain. She flinched, and he missed her, thoroughly misting a jar of flowers instead, which quickly lost all its hues of pink and purple. The woman narrowed her eyes. Is this one of Da Vinci's wild inventions? Do you know him? Slightly. My husband desires to commission him to do a portrait of me, but I think it's terribly frivolous. Why would anyone want to look at a painting of a me? <laughs> well, I would. The woman blushed. Maybe I'll speak with Leonardo before the moon is out tonight. He's here. I saw him in or the castle wall when I came in. Nostos' insides flipped. Leonardo da Vinci was in attendance tonight. She took off her mask. I'm Elisa, though this stain on my dress resembles a fowl. A turkey, possibly. Well, Miss Turkey Dress, would your husband mind if I danced with you? Hardly. She held out her hand. He's a silk merchant, busy chatting up potential buyers. Franklin swayed back and forth to the sweet notes of a peculiar, stringed instrument with a rounded body. The pleasant sounds that escaped its cavities nearly lulled her to sleep as she watched a woman with a violet flower in her hair swing around a man with a circular, hold mask. The rose was the color of Fasco's hair. It would have looked beautiful on a young Flovin. Fasco. Franklin's heart sank. Their youngest team member was stuck in Japan, and even if she and Floyd managed to transport to Moscow somehow, there were no clues about where to go next. The young, bright, curious mind would be jaded forever, if she even survived. Franklin could hardly ruminate in her despair when a new song started, more forceful and rhythmic. Bodies twirled around her in some form of mating call. Paul elbowed her and put out his chubby, floven hand. Let's dance so you don't look like the square hiding in the corner of a party. You'll give us away. Uh, but I don't know how to... Paul didn't wait for her to finish and spun Franklin in a circle until she thought she would be sick. Great costume. The woman with a purple rose in her hair called to Franklin. So colorful. Thou must be wealthy to commission that. What the family do you belong to? Flovatar. We're from the south. Rebus, always on the search for content, cornered a few partygoers in the corner and convinced them to spill the true thoughts about the night. Turns out, even Renaissance Italians love to gossip like California housewives. Our new ruler, Piero Medici, desires to be heralded as Piero de Lucky. More like Piero the Unfortunate. Piero's father Lorenzo was a great patron of the arts, a shrewd negotiator and interested in philosophy. Piero doesn't have a creative bone in his body, including his... Uh, he wastes his days on a nonsense and a fools himself to think that throwing these parties would keep everyone content. And he has that snake, Savonarola, whispering in his ears. That serpent wants to outlaw all art. That won't disclose we're saying this, right? Okay, good. Then also, his hat reminds me of a rotting pigeon. Nostos wandered outside, hoping to spot the great da Vinci and start a conversation with him. He snatched a bird skull mask from a man passed out on the stairs and attached it over his eyes, looking up at a dazzling display of flaming gas orbs. The atmosphere was much clearer there in the 15th century, 
with little pollution to dampen the magic of the night sky. They said the Renaissance was a rebirth from the Dark Ages. He could understand why so much human culture had spawned from this period of time. And then, he spotted the central figure of all that culture. With a graying beard that melted into his hair like a giant bowl of spaghetti, Leonardo da Vinci was an undeniable figure of a man. His curious eyes sparkled like descendants of the stars in the sky. He was waving his arms at what Nostos thought had to be a spirited debate about the philosophies of life. He racked his brain for an opening line, something to dazzle one of the most noteworthy humans to ever walk the planet. He tried a few in his mind. Do you have a map? I keep getting lost in your eyes. No. What was that? He was trying to impress the Vinci, not him. Something more philosophical, perhaps. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yes, he'd heard that while watching Mel's favorite movie. Idealism, logical reasoning, delicious sugar. It was perfect. It would cut right into the debate. As Nostos advanced toward the group, he realized they weren't debating at all. They were playing a game. On the side of the building, a circle with intersecting lines like a freshly cut pie had been chalked onto the wooden wall. Da Vinci and his compatriots took turns tossing small, sharpened metal pieces toward the board, similar to javelins. It was oddly similar to a bar game that Nostos had played with Mel when they had a party for her birthday one year. Da Vinci flung his dart, ran toward the chalk drawing, and lifted his arms in victory. It counts! Tis on the line! Tis not on the line! Inspector closer! yelled a teenager with crisp brown hair. Da Vinci stuttered. Michelangelo! This line is a crooked! Well then, thou should have formed it straighter. Thou art usually the master of geometry, old man. Thou must have swallowed one too many goblets of wine. The Nostos, the makeshift dartboard resembled a map of the Meta Highway with the darts representing the Flovens who made their way to different parts of the earth. He watched Da Vinci curse and hobble away, presumably to grab another goblet. Give me a throw? Nostos asked the younger man, barely sixteen. Sure. Alas, tis tougher than its appearance. As the two warm-up tosses, Nostos nailed the bullseye on his third try. Michelangelo's mouth was agape, incredulous that this oddly short fellow in an avian mask had nailed the target. Beginner's luck. Nostos gestured toward Da Vinci. Did he invent this game? Who, Da Vinci? Uh, of course, he can't go to the outhouse without us while inventing something. Old man thinks he knows as much as the gods. Just thou wait. I have a statue idea that will establish me as the genius I know myself to be. What's that? I'm going to create a colossal marble sculpture. Something that can measure up to the Colosseum or the Parthenon. Something larger than lives that posterity will admire for thousands of years. People will travel across oceans to be in its presence. Sounds fascinating. And what will the statue imitate? See, I uh, haven't uh, worked that part out yet, but uh, that's a divine inspiration, thou seest. A few more nights staring at the slats in my bedroom ceiling and I'll get there. Don't tell Da Vinci. He believes I already have the idea. Don't worry, Mike. You'll definitely think of something. Nostos let his guard down, proud of his dad joke and hoping to try another. So, we have Leonardo, Michelangelo. Where's Donatello? He's dead. Feeling humiliated by yet another teenager, Nostos flung a dart toward the board, but it sailed over the wall and impaled someone behind it. Ouch! Da Vinci hobbled back toward them with a dart sticking out of his foot like a skewer. What the horrors were you trying to accomplish, throwing it through the galaxy? No, I mean, of course, intragalaxy travel doesn't quite happen in a straight line like that anyway. 
Nostro stumbled. Sorry. He commanded da Vinci's undivided attention. What do you mean by that? Well, time isn't so rigid if you know where to look. Da Vinci, suddenly clear-headed even through the copious liters of rare Chianti, winked at Nostos and dashed back into the swirling sea of party attendees, now having doubled in size. Nostos scurried behind him, but when he came through the doors, da Vinci had integrated himself into the swarm of dancers. They clapped, spun, wobbled, and tapped to the beat of the charming music, because everyone was hidden behind their masks, it was impossible to tell exactly where he went or who he was. Nostos tracked down Gellin, who was still dancing with his companion, and grasped him on the arm. Get your hands off me! Gellin yelled. Nostos ripped off his mask. Oh, it's you. You've messed up my rhythm. This is a very particular sequence I'm trying to conquer here. Nostos huffed and puffed. Da Vinci! He's here! But I've lost him! Nostos sashayed around a couple who nearly took his legs out. Where are the others? Gellin pointed at Franklin and Paul, awkwardly standing a likey's length apart and slowly swaying, antithetical to the fast beat of the music. Rebus had posted up in a corner and was using his streamer to get an up-close look of some female attendees without being slapped. Nostos limped toward Franklin, but a woman grasped his hand and he was thrust into the throes of a serpent-like movement on the dance floor. When he finally passed her and Paul, he cried out, We need to stop the music to find Da Vinci! How? Find a way to... the instruments. He trailed away as his partner dragged him back in line. Franklin, happy to feel useful again, stuck behind the orchestra and hypothesized that if she temporarily disabled a few instruments, enough of the other players would notice and stop. She readied her multi-pen, but the flute player blasted a high note extremely out of tune, and Franklin dropped it in alarmment. It rolled under the lyre player's foot. Flork! The band played louder still, and Da Vinci was nowhere to be found. I wonder... She had stashed her dustbuster in a vase only a few steps away, and now she retrieved the soil-covered technology. She crept back behind the musicians and scanned a deafening brass instrument for dust. It pushed the sensor to the max. She collected the dust from the lute, brass, and woodwinds until it was only the percussion players who were blissfully unaware. They, of course, continued to play, launching into several extended solos. The dancers came to a halt, crashing into each other. There he goes! Nostos cried, catching a glimpse of Da Vinci's jet-black coat as he slipped out the door. The Flovens trailed Da Vinci through the city, ducking through several empty buildings and losing him twice in the process. Nostos? Gellin asked when the older Floven caught up to him. What if this is another yokoi situation and we're walking into a trap? The human entered a monastery, and Gellin hesitated to run into the shadows. Knowing it was the only chance they had to catch Da Vinci, he pressed onward into the silent building. Inside the pious halls, plaster walls were covered in colorful frescoes, depicting scenes from throughout history, important events such as the birth of man and the death of Julius Caesar. This last painting puzzled him, as something looked inexplicably familiar. It couldn't be, though. No, it was. Holding a knife to Caesar's neck was a floven named Omclair. He'd been head of Gellin in the academy, but was banned for a crime Flovalabs called spamming. Had he been forced on this mission the same as Paul? And did he land in an ancient time and cause the downfall of an empire? Looking at this painting, it seemed likely. A voice, more playful than menacing, drifted out from behind the curtain. Time stays long enough for anyone who will use it, Da Vinci whispered. Go to get your friends. I imagine you don't have much time right now. 
Gelin gestured to the others that it was safe to enter the monastery, and they sat in an airy, candlelit room as da Vinci prepared to speak. The walls were lined with paintings, drawings, formulas, and ideas. Paul had to inhale some smoke every five minutes to keep from evacuating his innards. Da Vinci clapped. Welcome to my studio. My apologies that I had to make haste like so. You never know who is listening or watching. With the current regime change, I'm afraid I don't have the same bandwidth of exploration as I did with Lorenzo. But if you are who I thought you were, I know you would find me. You know who we are? I know what you are. You're Flovens. They stood mesmerized by this latest development. Well, you aren't the first of your kind to come to Earth. I've read about you and seen your drawings. So, Franklin thought, some of the Flovens survived. Da Vinci continued. You see, I've been studying the ancient pyramids and their possible construction of purposes for some time now. A few years ago, I began following in the footsteps of Vitruvius, the chief engineer for Julius Caesar. When he was stationed in North Africa, he was drawn towards the construction of the pyramids. He studied their ancient markings and hieroglyphics, buried by time to us now. Those ancient wonders were purposefully built into a point as a way to connect the beings on Earth with the Celestial. He supposed the Celestial meant the gods, but then I came upon these drawings. From a cupboard, he pulled out a stack of ancient notes, featuring rows of symbols neatly arranged in horizontal and vertical patterns. Ah, great, more stacks of paper, Paul teased. They looked like advanced cave drawings, and da Vinci called them hieroglyphics. Each row told an epic story. A few of the characters looked like Flovins, in the exact stance of the Vitruvian man. Just like this, Nostos exclaimed, pulling out the writ book page from his pocket. Da Vinci gaped at the page, his brain unable to compute what he was seeing. It's an exact copy. Where did you get to this? Anywhere in the world. There will be thousands of copies like this in the future. I, uh, well... I am honored to see that one of my works has lasted so long into prosperity. Da Vinci explained his research. Vitruvius had struggled to fully decipher the greater message, but Da Vinci himself had studied his notes on these markings, and very humbly, he added, he translated them into some order and comprehension. Turns out there were more messages than met the eye. I understand. I enjoy hiding secrets in my artwork, too. Da Vinci grinned. Like the drawing you've seen of mine. I just completed it a few years ago after my studies. It's the perfect proportions of man. He unveiled the original copy. Couldn't you have given him some pants at least? I was practicing a squaring the circle, a process that blends mathematics and science with creativity. Drawing the geometry of the circle and square unlocks a little something in your brain. A higher consciousness, if you will. This is a divine connection with the body and the universe. If we are talking about the pyramids or traveling through the galaxy, it is essential we connect one body and the rest of the universe. He drew a line from the navel of the Vitruvian man to the top corner of the square and then compared it to a drawing of the Pyramid of Giza. An exact match. How did those Egyptians build the pyramids themselves with no technology, you ask? That's my next endeavor. I'm trying to study and rebuild the machine they used. Vitruvius's notes on that are useless. He had terrible handwriting. Do you know anything about these? Nostos asked, taking a piece of chalk from the table and sketching out the various shapes of tetraminos. Da Vinci paused for a moment before he snatched the chalk back from Nostos and arranged the tetraminos into a meticulous shape. Then he clapped his hands again. 
Aha! Put together in just the correct order. These create the golden rectangle. It's a shape with the dimensions aesthetically perfect. If using the divine proportions, see how each of its sides is the length of the golden ratio. He traced out the formula. Nostos and Franklin shared a look. The golden ratio was familiar to both of them. Her mother, Reno Franklin, used it to discover dust. There is a one problem with the rectangle, though. It has a square hole in it. Frankly, whoever invented these was getting very close to figuring it out. But not quite. The ancient Greeks had a symbol for the golden ratio. Next to the rectangle, da Vinci sketched a circle with a line through its center. It was the Greek letter for phi. Its cultural meaning could vary on Earth, but sometimes it meant you're going to have the funnest night of your life on the college campus. That symbol! I've only ever seen that one other time. It's the shape of the cave where they found the portalium element. We need to go to Greece. Ancient Greece. Da Vinci, who should we talk to? You can do that? You can go back to ancient Greece? Da Vinci asked. Nostos explained portholes, dust theory, and his view of the meta-highway to the greatest polymath who ever lived. Da Vinci comprehended it all with ease, but when they showed him the Game Boy, he nearly fainted. They helped him to his seat as he giggled consistently, roaring with laughter every time the startup sound went off. So, can you give me a general estimate of where I should be looking? Da Vinci nodded, mesmerized by the LCD screen. One a moment. Can I take this to my secret thinking place? The divine proportion. The golden rectangle. Hmm. When he wandered out of the room, Nostos and Franklin spoke in urgent tones. I assume you want us to go further back in history? She sighed, expressing more frustration. I don't know, Nostos. Every time we move, it seems like we end up with a tougher journey home. This golden rectangle and the tetraminos are more ancient than I even realized. All we have are the notes right now, and you've seen how notes can be compromised. After more than half an hour of waiting, the Flovens became suspicious and went looking for Leonardo. Paul opened doors throughout the monastery and was shushed by its residents every time he poked his head to a new space. Finally, he passed by a closed door with a smell that nearly took his head off. He dropped to his knees and began to desperately pray to whatever being was present in these halls. Gellin caught up to him and, concerned, tried to shake Paul into answering. All he could muster was a limp arm pointing at the door. Gellin jerked it open, and there sat Da Vinci, with his robes around his ankles and his eyes on the Game Boy. Ah, I've been had! You've found it! My ultimate thinking place! <laughs> I think he's poisoned me. Paul wheezed. Franklin and Nostos caught up to them. This thinking place is more like the stinking place. Gellin shrugged. Franklin sniffed. Well, yes, not any worse than the horse dung from earlier. Paul let a small scream erupt from his lips. Yes, this is worse than horse dung. Forever curious, Franklin couldn't help but take a dusk reading of the air in the ancient bathroom. It was off the charts. Oh, well, I'll be a likey's uncle. Oh, I've just thought of something. You should speak to Pythagoras. When a blonde Italian tried to enter the bathroom before Da Vinci could fully recloak, he barked. Richard, you will need to wait till your turn. While Flovens prepared to leave, Nostos searched for a porthole to ancient Greece. Da Vinci sketched a silhouette of Franklin's face, a start of a new portrait that would be completed nearly ten years later. All right, Da Vinci. What century should we go to? Sixth century BC was when the great Pythagoras was active. He studied the golden ratio and golden shapes while developing his famous theorem. 
he believed the ratio manifested in the body and the nature. He'll know vastly more about what it has to do with time travel. Tell him I said, well, he won't know who I am, but tell him I said hi. I see. Um, okay, I'll do that. Here's a porthole that will open in two hours and eleven minutes. And it's opening at... The screen went black. The Game Boy was dead. The batteries! Charged up with dust! Grab it off his toilet! I'm afraid that's not going to work. If the batteries have died, we'll have to replace them completely. What about Rebus's streamer? Franklin seized the Game Boy and rotated its batteries, desperately searching for a bit more juice. It has a solar-powered backup battery, in case he runs out of dust on Earth. I'll pry it out of there with my bare hands. There's one problem with that idea, Franklin. Rebus isn't here. When the Flovens frantically staggered out of the monastery in search of their documentarian, Rebus was nowhere to be found. They had lost another one of their teammates.